Well, today uh, we continue our walk uh, through Hebrews chapter 11, uh, which of course contains the great hall of fame of faith. One of the significant truths we see in Hebrews 11 is that God often brings test of obedience into a believer's life uh, to both prove and strengthen our faith in Him. Uh, these tests of obedience put our faith in God on the line. Uh, they reveal our personal uh, theology. You know, theology simply means belief in God. And when God wants to test your theology, He's not going to give you an academic exam uh, to see how much head knowledge you have about Him. No, He's going, going to bring some great adversity or challenge in your life to reveal how much heart confidence you have in Him. When calamity strikes or the bottom falls out or when you are pushed to your limits, your theology what you truly believe about God is revealed. And it will either be the life preserver that keeps you afloat in life's trials and storms, or it will be the weights around your feet uh, that pull you under. And of course, God's purpose in bringing these tests into our lives is to take this truth we have about God in our heads and what? push it down into our hearts to strengthen our faith and to give us a greater confidence in Him. Occasionally, we encounter a time of testing that is so difficult that it's, it's like it fits into a category all of its own. We could, we could call it one of those ultimate tests. And that's what we're going to look at today in a message I've entitled, when obeying God feels like putting the knife to all your future hopes and dreams. Uh, turn your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 7 through 19, as we look at Abraham facing an ultimate test when God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was, notice, tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He, Abraham, considered that God is able to raise even men from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. The historical background for these verses is found in Genesis chapter 22, uh, verses 1 through 18. I think you're all familiar with the story. Uh, God had miraculously given Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, a child they had waited over 25 years for. All of God's promises to Abraham were wrapped up in Isaac. And then... Uh, Tradition tells us probably in his older teenage years, uh, I, uh, God comes to Abraham and tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. 
I want you to kill your son and present him as an offering uh, to me. And, of course, you know the story how he made the altar, laid Isaac on that altar, raised his hand with the knife uh, to bring it down to kill Isaac, and right at the last moment, remember, God, what? Stayed his hand and uh, stopped him. And then, remember, there was a ram that was caught in the thicket, and uh, God uh, took that ram, and it was sacrificed in Isaac's place as God tested Abraham and his loyalty uh, towards him. Now, look at the introduction in your notes, uh, because I want to set the stage so that we're really personally applying this to our lives. There are times when to obey God's word or follow God's leading seems there can be no good outcome and will lead to a lifetime of misery. And such was Abraham's predicament when God commanded him to sacrifice the very love and joy of his life, his son Isaac. Now this brings us to the next statement in your notes. The challenge for all of us this morning, when God calls me, when God calls me to an act of painful and sacrificial obedience, can I trust God to use all of His wisdom, power, and love to turn the path of obedience into a path of life and joy? You know, for many of you right now, And for others, it's probably just around the corner. Uh, Obedience does feel like the end of your hopes and dreams. You feel that if you do what God is telling you to do, uh, it is going to lead to misery. And there's no way God can work this for your good. Uh, Perhaps the command that you're hearing from God is to remain, to stay in a very difficult marriage. It may be to remain single. It may be to accept the loss of a loved one and to begin to move into the next chapter in your life. It may be He's calling you to persevere with thankfulness in a very hard sickness, illness, health crisis. It may be to stay in a very unpleasant job or maybe to leave a good job, uh, to speak up about Christ at work or in school. Uh, Maybe it's to refuse to compromise biblical standards of integrity and honesty and morality. Possibly to forgive someone who deeply, deeply offended and hurt you. It may be simply to begin tithing or to give some significant sacrificial gift, uh, possibly to confront a person who's fallen into sin uh, or to venture into a new vocation, become a missionary. As you see it from your limited mind and perspective, the prospect of obeying is terrible. It's like the loss of Isaac. You've considered every human angle And it just seems impossible that this can turn out well if I do what I know God wants me to do. Now you can better understand what it was like for Abraham. This this story is in the Bible for you and for me. And so let's see what it teaches us. First, look at the dilemma, the dilemma of God's command. Here we go back to Genesis chapter 22. 
and look at the very first two verses which set the stage for this entire story and this test that God brought into Abraham's life. It says, God, what? Tested. God took the initiative, knew exactly what he was doing, and he tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham. And he, Abraham, said, here am I. Sort of with the attitude or tone, I'm, I'm here, ready to serve, at your bidding. And he said, and Abraham wasn't ready for this, and God said, take now your son. Your only son, you may be a little confused about that, didn't he have Ishmael, and that's true, but this was truly the promised child, the promised son. He says, the son whom you, what? Love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you. Now let's be very clear about what God was commanding Abraham to do. He was to take Isaac, and he was to make a three-day journey to Moriah. And Moriah today is the city of Jerusalem. And there, he was to build an altar of stones on one of the mountains. He would then make a platform of wood on top of that stone altar. And then Abraham was to bind his son Isaac and lie him down on the wood. Then he would take a knife and he would slit Isaac's throat the same way that a sacrificial lamb was slain. Finally, he would light the wood burning Isaac's body as an offering to God. Now notice, in the verses we read, when God gave Abraham the command to sacrifice Isaac, he referred to Isaac as the son whom you love. Now I do not believe God said this to mock Abraham. I believe what he was doing was reassuring Abraham that he, God, fully understood what it would cost him to obey. And at this point, Abraham only had two options. Either obey God or you disobey. Now, when we read this story, we naturally focus on the unimaginable sorrow of losing a child. Nothing seems more unnatural than for a parent to bury their own child. And we have members right here in the church that have had that very tragic, grieving experience. And in this case, God told Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice to God. But look at the next statement in your notes, because this is something we often neglect when we look at this story. The dilemma went way beyond the deep revulsion from the thought of killing Isaac, who was the laughter. And why is laughter in quotes? Because the name Isaac means what? Laughter. 
Laughter. So the, the dilemma that Abraham was confronted with, it went way beyond the deep revulsion from the thought of killing Isaac, who was the laughter and the joy of Abraham, the miracle child he waited 25 years for, the child that God had given him. The greater dilemma was God's command seemed to totally contradict God's promise. And that's where the writer of Hebrews puts his focus. Because when he refers to this test of Abraham offering up Jacob, he focuses on verse 18 as you read, and it was he, referring to Isaac, to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. See, through Isaac, and don't miss this, and through Isaac alone, all of God's promises to Abraham were to be fulfilled. All of Abraham's hopes and dreams were wrapped up in his son. Hopes and dreams that were birthed in his heart by God. And not only that, all of God's plans to bless the world were wrapped up in Isaac. If Abraham obeys the command, would that not end all of God's promises? Would that not thwart God's plans since Isaac would be dead? To kill Isaac made absolutely no sense from Abraham's perspective. The command seemed to totally contradict every promise God had ever made to Abraham. So why, why, why did God present Abraham with a dilemma like this? Well, as we've already seen, we're told at the very beginning of the story that God was what? Testing Abraham. And what was the test? Well, we're told at the end of the story, when God says, and you're familiar with this, God says, you know, when he stayed his hand, he says, Abraham, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. That was the test. That was the test. And don't think for a moment that God does not know every possession, every ambition, every relationship that competes for your love over him. See, God knew Isaac had become the apple of Abraham's eye. And he knew it was time to put Abraham's priorities into perspective. God asked Abraham to offer up, to surrender Isaac, to demonstrate that he reverenced God more than he loved Isaac. That the giver is more valuable than his gifts. The promise, promiser better than his promises. The father more precious than his work. See, here's reality. And we all know this because this is what we all struggle with. We are like children who approach God with open hands. And we beg God to fill our hands with his gifts and the fulfillment of his promises. And because God is good, 
He fills our hands with many wonderful gifts and blessings. And like children, we rejoice in what we have received, and that delights his heart. And we run around comparing what we have with one another. When our hands are finally full, God comes and he says, My child, I long to have fellowship with you. Reach out your hand and take my hand. But we can't. And why can't we? Because they're filled. We're filled with God's gifts, with God's blessings. And God says, let it go. Put that aside and take my hand. We respond, no, no, we can't. God, this is, this is too hard. I, I, I just I can't put these things down. They've become too precious to me. And then God says, but, but I'm the one who gave them to you in the first place. Oh, God, what you ask is too hard. Please don't ask me to surrender what's in my hand. And God answers quietly, you must. This is a test every Christian will face. You know why? Because every Christian has his or her, what, Isaac. And that Isaac must be surrendered to God to ensure that God has no rival for your worship, for your love. To ensure that God is first place, the preeminent one, your greatest passion, your supreme love. Look at the obedience of Abraham's faith. There, that was the dilemma that he was confronted with. Will he surrender his Isaac that was so precious to him or not? And surrendering him, realizing this seemed to contradict all of God's promises. Genesis 22, verses 9 through 10. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And it says, And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And then look at Hebrews 11, verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Jacob. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Notice it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Jacob. The amazing thing you need to see in the, in the Greek grammar there, the emphasis is on the fact that from Abraham's perspective, Isaac was as good as dead. He had resolved to take his son's life in obedience to God. And, and that's what God saw in Abraham's heart, a willingness to surrender his Isaac to him. Now, there is so much that could be said about the obedience of Abraham's faith. Although he was initially confused and hurting, there's no uh, hint of arguing with God, resisting God, doubting. 
There was no plea bargaining. There was no rationalization. You know, this doesn't make sense. So you ask, how could Abraham have done this? I mean, what was the secret of his confidence? And look at the next statement in your notes, and here it is. If there is one thing Abraham had learned, looking back on his life, and this was a man now that was well over 100 years old, if there's one thing he had learned, looking back on his life, it was that God keeps his word. Therefore, he resolved the dilemma by reasoning, since God promised descendants through Isaac, if Isaac is to be slain, God must be planning to raise him from the dead. That was the depth of Abraham's faith. Look at verse 19 of Hebrews 11. It says, He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead from which he received him, Isaac, back as a type. Would you please circle the word considered there in your notes? The Greek word is logizomai, from which we get our word logarithm. The word means to calculate. It means to compute. It means to reason. It means to take into full account. Abraham brought God into his reasoning. This was not a blind leap of faith. It was an act of faith that was built on a history with God. And as he reviewed that history and the character and the integrity of God, in his reasoning, he said to himself, okay, now wait a minute. God supernaturally provided Isaac. And he promised that through Isaac would come a great nation that would bless the world. I know that God keeps his word. And I also know he has a right to make any demand on my life that he pleases. Therefore, if it is his will for me to sacrifice this promised son of mine, then God will raise him from the dead. Now keep in mind, there had never been a resurrection before. But he knew God had to bring Isaac back to life. There was no other way because God keeps his word. This brings us right back to one of the key truths that we've been seeing in Hebrews 11 with each one of these uh, great individuals that are found in this hall of fame of faith. They're all put in situations where they have to weigh the human impossibility of their situation over against the divine impossibility of God breaking his word. And Abraham, along with every one of these individuals in Hebrews 11, as they looked at their human impossibility, and then they reflected on God's divine impossibility to break his word, they said, I'm going to stick with God because he's able. I don't know how, but he's a God that keeps his word, and I'm going to put my trust in him. Now, I know what many of you are thinking right now because... Uh, I think the same way. You're thinking, well, this is so far beyond the faith that I possess. Uh, how could I ever rise to such heights of faith as Abraham did? But we need to remember something. Abraham's faith did not begin with the offering of Isaac. It had been many, 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 many years of walking with God 
prior to this ultimate test that God brought into his life. And what we also need to remember is there were many, many tests that God brought into Abraham's life which he miserably failed. He had numerous lapses of faith in his walk with God. Uh, we, we looked in detail at one of the, the, his greater lapses when after God gave him the promise that he would give him a son, uh, him and Sarah struck out on their own thinking God needed some help and he went into Hagar and impregnated her using her as a surrogate mother. And God said, no, you just blew it, Abraham. You, did, you just missed me. But the beautiful thing is what? God never gave up on Abraham. Just like God will not give up on you. And God, because He loves you, is going to be relentless at giving you more and more opportunities to build a stronger faith. And therefore, He'll bring these tests into your life as He brought into Abraham's life. And we need to understand it's not so much increasing our faith, but what? Resting in the faithful one. That's the point that Abraham came to. It's not so much getting a greater faith, but just simply resting in the integrity and the character and the power of God. Now look at the reward of Abraham's obedient faith, the reward. Take your Bibles, uh, just didn't have room in the sermon notes to put all of these verses. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 22. Let's read verses 11 through 14. Okay, as I begin to read, uh, we read through verse 11. Uh, Isaac's been laid on the altar. Abraham has taken the knife, and he's just about to bring it down to slit Isaac's throat. Again, like you would uh, put to death a sacrificial uh, lamb. And right at the very last moment, before he plunged the knife into Isaac's throat, Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. This is where we get the term Jehovah Jireh. And it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And then go to your sermon notes and look at verses 16 through 18. And how God ratifies God's promises to Abraham. He says, by myself, this is God speaking to Abraham on this very occasion. While they're still up there on the mountain. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing. And have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed. Your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. 
because Abraham was willing to surrender his Isaac, although it made no sense and it seemed to be contradicting all of God's promises, God says, now Abraham, I'm going to bless you beyond anything that you or anyone else could ever imagine. And I'm going to do it because you've done this thing. Because you have not withheld your son from me. You've demonstrated that I'm first place in your life. I'm your greatest love. You reverence me more than you love Isaac. The giver is greater than his gifts. The promiser sweeter than his promises. And therefore, I'm going to fulfill every promise. And do it exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that you could ever imagine or think. Now as we close, look at the lessons to be learned. The lessons to be learned. Number one, number one, what I value most and hold on to tightly is usually what God asked me to release to Him. Most idols, let's acknowledge this now, most idols are gifts from God that become more important than the giver. God desires to be my first love. So I'm letting you know, child of God, what you value the most in life, what you tend to hold on to most tightly, I guarantee it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but it's coming. God's going to test you at that point. He's going to test your willingness to surrender that person, that relationship, that circumstance, whatever it is, to Him to demonstrate that you reverence God more than you love that individual, more than you love that possession, more than you love that goal or objective or ambition in life. Because we need to understand, Andy said it earlier this morning, our God is a jealous God. And He desires to be your first love. Now, now please don't think that this makes God uh, arrogant in some way that he demands this, you need to understand the reason he won't let you off here. The reason he will continue to bring test after test after test to bring you to this place where he is your supreme love, where he is your first love, is because God is committed to your happiness. And he knows it's only being rightly related to him. He knows it's only being fully surrendered to him that you're going to find true joy in life. And that goes back to what we began with in this message. When you're hit with a test like this, can you trust God? Can you believe God that in his wisdom and in his love and in his power, he can transform this situation to make it a path of life? to make it a path of joy, to make it a path of laughter. I mean, just think, think of the mood that Abraham must have been in going up that mountain in Moriah. And then, folks, think of what the mood must have been when the angel stayed his hand. Oh, Abraham and Isaac laughing, dancing, celebrating on that mountain. And my point is, God will do the same thing for you. Although right now, you don't see any possible way that God could transform this into life and joy. See, never forget that the hands that shape your... are the what? Nail-scarred hands of Jesus. All we have to do is look at the cross, and we should never doubt His love. 
He is committed to your good. He's committed to your benefit. Now, that doesn't always mean he's going to give you everything you want. He's going to give you what you need. And what his goal is, is to make you like Jesus, to draw you into an intimacy with Jesus, because he knows there is where true joy is found lasting joy a joy that is not dependent upon outward circumstances a joy that's not dependent upon other relationships or possessions or ambitions but a joy that's rooted in God and in God alone and as and you come to that place as we've mentioned many times before where you can honestly say God is enough and God is all I need look at the second truth What I release to God, and this is a great, great truth. What I release to God, He replaces with something even more valuable. When I value knowing the promiser more than the fulfillment of His promises, God can entrust me with greater blessings. I'll read that again. It is such a beautiful and powerful truth. What I release to God, what I surrender to God, He replaces with something even more valuable. When I value knowing the promiser more than the fulfillment of his promises, then God can entrust me with greater blessings. Now, in Abraham's case, he gave him what? He gave him Isaac back. But from a whole new different perspective now, everything had been made right. And he knew God would fulfill every promise through Isaac. And fulfill his plans through Isaac. And even do greater things. And look at the third truth. Because our time's almost gone. In Genesis 22, we see what a man would do for the love of God. That's what you see. You see what a man would do for the love of God. Because what motivated Abraham to offer up his son Isaac. Which, again, he had already resolved to do in his heart. It, It was from God's perspective. He did it. Because God saw his heart and knew his resolve. So we see what man would do for the love of God. But at Calvary, we see what God would do for the love of man. And this is a good reminder as we approach Easter. Look at at the comparison. Abraham offered his son. And what? God also what? Offered his son. Isaac, we're told in the story, literally himself, carried the wood up the mountain. Well, Jesus carried the cross to the place of Golgotha. Isaac was laid on that wooden altar, that wooden platform. Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross. Abraham was willing to put his son to death but the father actually put his son to death and it was when the father raised his hand with that knife to plunge it into his son into Jesus no one stayed his hand no one stayed his hand and he did that for you to cancel the penalty of your sin and to impute the righteousness of Christ to you to restore your relationship with God. Notice, the ram was offered in the place of Isaac. Jesus was offered in the place of sinners. And then Abraham received his son, what, back figuratively, as one raised from the dead, 
But Jesus, what, literally rose from the dead, which will be the focus of Jonathan's study tonight from the Gospels. Now, as we close, let me recommend a prayer for each and every one of us. Look at this great prayer by A.W. Tozer that we should all be able to relate to. And it's such an honest prayer. But a prayer that we need to all be able to pray. Father, I want to know you. But my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding. And I do not try to hide from you the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that you may enter and dwell there without a rival. Then shall you make the place of thy feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for thyself will be the light of it, and there shall be no night there. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Father, uh, what a challenge this morning. Because we all have our Isaacs that become a rival for you having preeminence in our lives. A rival often preventing you from becoming and being our first love. So Father, help us see this morning the need not to withhold anything from you. To give you every relationship, to give you every ambition, every possession, and then to give you our very lives as living sacrifices to do your will. Father, grow us to learn the faith of Abraham that when we are met with one of those ultimate tests and when we're weighing in the balances the human impossibility of our situation or dilemma over against the divine impossibility of you breaking your word like these wonderful characters in Hebrews 11 like Abraham we would side with the divine impossibility of you breaking your word. And we would say, God is able. We may not know how. It's not for us to determine. It's just for us to believe and to trust. So, Lord, give us grace now to surrender all to you, for it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. As the invitation is extended this morning, um, how could we not all respond? Uh, because the challenge for us as believers is what? Full and total surrender. To withhold nothing from God. And just be honest with God. Just like that wonderful prayer with A.W. Tozer. That's why I put it in writing. So 
even right now during this invitation, you could take that prayer and make it your own prayer. And you can take that with you and continue to focus on that prayer. Trusting God will root out of your heart anything that would be His rival until you come to that place where truly He is supreme and He is your first love, your greatest passion and pursuit. And of course, if you do not know Christ, uh, you've heard the message of salvation in the beautiful parallel between Abraham offering Isaac and God offering His Son. And that was done for you, as we mentioned, to pay for the penalty of your sin. And He rose again to be your Savior, to be your Lord, for you to invite Him in that your heart would become His home where He could dwell and have His way and have His will. So I'll be standing at the front to uh, receive anyone that has any decision of a public nature, but I trust we'll all be responding in our hearts to the truth we've heard. Please stand as the invitation is extended.